Welcome to another episode of Zero Ambitions, a podcast about sustainability and the built environment. So with us this week is Zach Semke. He's director of an organization called Passive House Accelerator, which some people may well be aware of. It is an American organization that is setting out to promote the cause of high-performance building. Much like Passive House Plus, it's focused on Passive House as the platinum building standard for high-performance building. And much like Passive House Plus, it's a bit misleading because that's not all they're about. Like with Jeff's magazine, it's about promoting the best standards and seeing what we can learn from them that can be applied across the board. Anyway, we don't need to get into all of that. Uh, Zach was introduced to us by Lloyd, Lloyd Alter, sometime co-host. He said we needed to talk. Lloyd's involved in Passive House Accelerator as well. Maybe he's an advisor. I don't know. He's very enthused. So yeah, we met with Zach. We get a stateside perspective on high-performance building. Early on, we get quite derailed by talking about the difference between Passive House standards, the European PHI, Passive House Institute standard, and the stateside alternative, Fierce. Um, There's a link for that in the show notes. And to be honest, I'm still not entirely clear on the difference between them, but it seems terribly important to some people. I'm not so sure it matters. I think it's a bit like learning about the Reformation. We can argue about the nuance of quite how we come to be consuming the actual body and blood of Christ, but it's a bit of a moot point. In the end, PHI and Fias, it's all high-performance building in the same way that communion is just faith-driven cannibalism. Anyway, more importantly, we cover how the US uptake of these standards, regardless of any tinkering, has the potential to push the whole field forward. You know, any concession is worth it. If, through US economic and hegemonic power, our cause is driven forward and the world is burned to death a bit less, Well, we are talking about building standards. The implications of what they can achieve is massive. We don't ever really speak about this directly, but energy and heating issues are increasingly issues of state security. We'll have to look at Ukraine and the way the UK government is framing the opening of the Rosebank oil fields. It's big stuff. We'll also talk about what Zach and his team are doing, creating a community to accelerate the adoption of better building standards. We also talk about culture war and things like that as well. He's a really interesting guy. They're doing really interesting stuff. And we would encourage you to definitely check their website, take a look at the webinars. Anyway, right, I'll let you get on with it. One last thing, retrofit reimagined. If you're anywhere near Bristol, McCuntleth in Wales or Glasgow, check. Just Google Retrofit Reimagined and go to the events. We've got links in the show notes. We implore you to get involved. We went to the London session, or Alex and I did. Jeff was at the ACB conference, or on his way there. It was brilliant. You know, props to Sarah Edmonds, former host, and Imi Kao. I don't know if I pronounced that right. Sorry if I haven't. Man, just check them. Go if you can. Right, with that, I'll let us get into the episode. It's just me and Alex this week. Cheers. Hope you enjoy. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I um, what about me? I am the director of Passive House Accelerator, and um, I'm, I'm, my office is in the Fremont neighborhood of Seattle. So I just had a really nice bike ride. It's mm. been incredibly rainy 
the last several days here, but it cleared up this morning. And so I saw the, I, I don't know, it's close to a full moon was kind of setting as I was writing in the office. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good Friday. Yeah. Just a heads up. Jeff can't be with us today, sadly. He is in Todmorden, in Yorkshire at the Passive, not Passive House, the AECB conference. So yeah, he's busy doing that. We're receiving little updates in the background. Okay. Yeah, Isaac, thank you for joining us today. It's great to be here. It's an honor. Yeah. So um, for those who don't know, Zach, it, Zachary Semke, is that how I pronounce your Semke. Semke. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm sure that we Americans are, it's, it's a German name. So, but we, we say Semke. Cool. I mean, they become their own thing once they end up in America, don't they? Yeah, I guess so. I guess yeah. so. Well, that is how culture works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you are director, CEO, like of I'm director, Passive- director of Passive House Accelerator. Yeah, and I work very closely with a great team, including the founder of Passive House Accelerator, Michael Ingui, who's an architect uh, with his own firm, Bax Ingui, in uh, New York. So you you were introduced to us via Lloyd Alter. So you know, uh, co-host on. Lloyd's bits. Uh, we might be expanding that a little bit sooner. And he said that, I mean, he said that we should have a chat just to see, because I think with what you guys are doing and what we're doing, there's a lot of scope for cross-pollination and collaboration, because I think you're doing Absolutely, something really yeah. interesting. And then it turned out that you'd already interviewed Jeff. That's right. One of the one of the first articles that I was involved in producing for the accelerator was an interview with Jeff. Yeah. Well, um, do you want to give us a little bit of a, a pricey on what Passive House Accelerator is? For yeah, our absolutely. Absolutely. And and Lloyd has been a very active member. It's it's really a, it, it's it's become a community, an online community of Passive House practitioners and um, aficionados. And so it's an online community hub. It's a, it's also, we're also a media company. We're an LLC. So we're not a nonprofit. We're a not making a profit LLC at this point. We have, uh, and so we, we have a couple of writers on staffs and we publish Passive Accelerator magazine twice a year and have a very active website with original articles on that. We produce, I think we're best known for the events that we produce. So every Wednesday at noon Eastern, we present a Passive House Accelerator Live, which is a open Zoom meeting where we bring somebody, uh, an architect, a builder, a developer to talk about a project, lessons learned, pitfalls to avoid, that kind of stuff, and then have this really active dialogue. And uh, that got going actually the second week of COVID lockdown. Uh, so that that was so so Passive House Accelerator started in 2019, and I think we were sort of still figuring out what our identity was. And initially, it was like it's an aggregator site was the idea. We were doing some original writing, but then COVID hit, and that what became the Passive House, the global Passive House Happy Hour started. Then and we'd have like you know 300, 350 people from around the world come together. It was, you know, that time when everyone was really hungry for community and interaction, and we didn't all hate Zoom. And uh, <laughs> so it just became a thing, you know, and so we we did that every every week. And so that now has become Pass Pass Accelerator Live. Um, and, you know, we'll have between 100 and 200 people come to, to each week to these events. So that's that's one of that's kind of a, a, maybe a flagship, but that's what it, when I say community, that's what I mean. That's the community. We also do a podcast, the Pass Files podcast, and 
we have two YouTube channels. One is like a library of all of the archives of all of the presentations that we've presented on the live programs. And the other is called Reimagine Buildings. And we have a, a filmmaker on staff who is creating an original work for that about Passive House um, projects and clients and some explainer videos, that kind of thing. So the, the global Passive House happy hour, is that yes. like the World Series? global <laughs> like well oh. i mean it was a little it was it, it was i think that you know it, it i guess the the word global you know you could take that two ways right there's a there it's a little cheeky i guess in, in, yeah, in one yeah. respect and but i the 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 spirit and maybe maybe it was maybe that was part of the spirit but the, I, the main spirit was hey this is like this is for all comers oh i think that's a really important thing this is for all comers from from anywhere this is open we want everyone to to come anybody who is welcome to join and i think that that's a really important element of the accelerator as well is that you know we we have pass practitioners who practice with the phi standard the pass institute standard which is based in darmstadt germany we also have pass practitioners particularly in the U.S., who also who use the Theus standard, which is based in Chicago, Illinois, and we are a place where um, we're agnostic. On we think that we have ma massive respect for both organizations, both certifications. We understand that there are important ways that those two certifications are different, and they're different in important ways. But there's also this commonality around you know fabric, the you know envelope first approach is based in building science. And the the notion that you want to drive thermal energy demand really low, total energy demand really low, and have an airtight structure, you know, those are those are commonalities. And most practitioners, a lot of practitioners in the US do both sometimes they do PHI projects, sometimes they do FIAS projects. So there we are a place where everybody can come together and share their lessons of from practice. So that, well, that was fairly unique, and I, and there, I think there was a there was a need for that, particularly in in North America. Well, I didn't want. Sorry, I may yeah, have yeah. sounded a little bit too arch with my World Series. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I didn't mean to introduce it negatively, more as a, a launch pad to. I mean, draw attention to the fact that you. I mean, you use. Uh, you have had guests on who actually we share some guests. Like uh, you've had the lofty heights of a uh, man like Wolfgang Feist, yeah, but we've right. both had Sally Godbron talking about, yeah. amongst other things, Goldsmith Street. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things, I mean, I was going to try and get into this later, but since we've got it on the table now, yeah, yeah. this having someone like Sally on, and I saw that you've had uh, Tomas O'Leary as well, uh, figurehead, like their massive yeah. development recently. I, got, I took my training with Tomas. Oh, did you? I did, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I did not know that. I mean, how would I? Like, that's oh, not yeah, right. the conversation, yeah. <laughs> well, you, uh, you, you could, you know, if you're in a room with past fast practitioners in the US, you can throw, you know, throw a stone and you'll, you'll hit somebody who, <laughs> who was trained by Tomas. Really? Did you come over here or is this online? No, no. I said so that was when I was at a Seattle architecture firm called NK Architects and mm -hmm. the, the founder of NK, you know, brought Tomas to Seattle for a week to train the office. Oh, wow. It was pretty oh. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I can believe. Yeah. Right. Well, well, we'll put a pin in that. So back to yeah. the schism. So you you learned the European standard and you are promoting the European standard. But but North America, it, actually, is it just the States or is it North? the whole of North America has this alternative standard as well? Well, I mean, honestly, the, you know, it, the whole world theoretically has has the standard um the i mean i, I think that there's uh 
But in terms of where FIAS projects are concentrated, at overwhelmingly the U.S. and also in Canada. Um, oh. Yeah. Well, why? Yeah. And I was trained in the the European standard, but I was introduced to Passive House uh, through the FIAS through the FIAS community uh, when I was at a when I was working at a, a company called Hammer in Hand, a construction company in Portland, Oregon, and they were they were doing some of the first single family passive house, you know, they were just on the vanguard uh, yeah. passive house in, in North America at that time. This was just, this is like 12 or 13 years ago. Um, and Sam Hagerman be, became quite involved in, in FIAS and the Passive House Alliance, US FIAS. So I'm, you know, friends with all those folks. So, so, so you're I, an I, ideological yeah, mongrel. I am, I am. Yeah. And there are really smart, passionate wonderful people who are very, very dedicated to PHI. And there are the same who are very, very dedicated to FIAS. And then there are a whole bunch of people who just don't have, they're just looking for what's best for their given project and they'll they'll switch back and forth. Yeah. All right. So for a so, dummy like me, what is the difference between the two? Well, I think, I mean... I mean, you don't have to get too technical either. Yeah. I mean, that's well, probably I, no, I, several I can't, hours worth. I, I mean, that's not my that's not my forte. But the uh, I, I mean, so I, th- I think that the the U.S. standard, the folks at FIAS have been really focused on optimizing the standard for for climate zone and for cost. And so they're adjusting when we talk about the thermal energy demand and the total energy demand. They're they're adjusting those numbers based on uh, the climate zone adjusting for cost, understanding that there's also, there are other decarbonization strategies like solar. So how do you, you know, like where, where is the right cost optimized, climate optimized solution? And it's just a different, it's just a different philosophy, a different approach where, I, I mean, I think PHI is, has made moves to to allow uh, for for climate, but I think that there's more of a focus on like, hey, this this standard work, this standard with these numbers works everywhere and we can show you you know so they those two philosophies just kind of have been a little bit at loggerheads you know sometimes the depending on climate zone the actual practical impact may not be really discernible in in it you know because if it's a climate zone that's really similar to germany's climate zone that there's they're gonna be very 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 similar and and in other climate zones you know like hot and humid climates and stuff that the diverge would be bigger or super cold places. So I understand and I, I see the, I guess I, I see the, and it's, this is, I think, pr- pr- really frustrating for for pe- people who are really committed to one certification and the other to hear, well, I see I see merit, merit in both, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, pussy, take but, a side. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but I, honestly, I honestly do. And, and, and again, this comes down, this comes back to this idea that they are both fantastic building solutions. And so uh, let's see uptake of both of them. Fine. Let's just do it. Okay. Maybe let's let's think about another metric to compare them. Which one is cooler? (laughs) I mean, in the word cool, uh, not as in the temperature. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good question. I am not going to, yeah, I'm not going there. All right. They're they're both, I don't know. Uh, Yeah. Very cool. Are Germans or Americans cooler? Oh, I mean, that's, (laughs) that's, that's pretty easy. Like I once you get know. out of the, the Weimar, oh, I suppose you've got periods. I, I think yeah, uh, yeah. America would always come on, Berlin. Having invented the concept, but I was thinking like Weimar era Berlin, like before everything went wrong, and then there's a whole periods around the eighties. But like, yeah, 
I mean, the concept came from the States. What are you going to do? Blue jeans, Elvis, industrialized smoking. Like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, the, the birth of the teenager. Yeah, um, right? I mean, it's a whole thing. Yeah. Well, what are the... Because I'm still unclear on it, but we don't have to go into it because it yeah. sounds like it is it is a nuanced difference. So rather than just try and explain it cold, like since you're, you've created a platform to help share knowledge, to promote two different standards that sound the same, mm. but have different actual practical applications, even if the outcomes are broadly the same. What challenges does that create for you then? Because having spoken with Lloyd, it makes him a little bit furious. Like mm. just the notion yeah. that there is this, this diversion, that we choose to use the word schism. You know, there's a bit of heat in that choice. Mm -hmm. that so yeah, yeah. What what challenges is it creating for you as a consequence? I think. I mean, it, honestly, I think it's overblown. The. I mean, it's it's there. It can be distracting and maybe com confusing uh, a little bit for policymakers, for example, who are mm -hmm. you know in advocacy. Um, if you're advocating for for passive house, and they're like, oh, by the way, there are these two certifications, and you know that that whole thing. I think that that has been fairly effectively handled in one of two ways. For example, in Massachusetts, the, the policies are pass-fail standards, either FIAS or PHI. And uh, there's no there's no difference in the way that, you know, what whatever incentives might be available, whatever is, is you know, if you're doing FIAS or PHI, you're good. That's one way. Another another way is that sometimes jurisdictions will, you know, will say, okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna codify the standard in our own books. We don't need this is not a certification we're running through one of these two, two organizations and they choose the thermal energy demand intensity and, and total energy demand and and air tightness um i mean i think that there's i mean this is not the impetus for this but like the scottish pass equivalency is an example of you know doing that and that i think that's how things have happened in in brussels as well yep in belgium and other places so i think that that's pretty common and ultimately that's where we're headed so you know, it's it's not a perfect situation that that there are two two in in some ways though. I, I I think that another way of looking at the fact that there are these two organizations is that they are you know it, to the degree that they can be competing in terms of ideas that maybe that that can be a productive conversation. And I think that where that is happening actually in the real world, or at least. I'm projecting that it's happening. You know, I'm not. I'm not in this room. It's a. It's a um, exclusive group. But this is Ash, Ashray. It has a. Is working on something called Ashray two two seven P, which is is a passive building standard uh, that would be coming from Ashray. And you guys, you guys are aware of Ashray? No, no. I was going to say. Okay. What is, what so Ashray stands for. I, I can't remember what it stands for, but it's this massively influential body that comes up with um, standards that then are adopted into building code. And that they're adopted into building code around the world, but it is uh, particularly in the US because it's the American Society of some... Oh, um, right. Well, I sh I, we should look it up, but... Yeah, we'll get but, that in the um, show notes. There will be an but, explanation waiting for you if you click on the thing. There, there you go. And and so it's a third, it's a third party, very highly respected very concert like conservative in terms of like slow moving deliberate body but when they come up with with a standard it's something that governments go oh i totally trust this standard 
because it comes from ASHRAE. So I'm going to incorporate this into, into my code. Um, okay. And so ASHRAE 90.1 is a, is a energy performance um, thing that's, that, that shows up all over the place. So that's going to make this schism less relevant when ASHRAE produces 227P. And as building codes adopt the concepts of passive house, that's the goal. Like that's yeah. what we need to see. Right. And so then I don't know. I mean, I know I understand Lloyd's frustration and irritation with it. But well, the, the, the way you're describing it here, I mean, it, this sounds like a diversion, like a, a distraction rather. I feel because yeah. like yeah. It, oh, it makes like things are going to change when you get into a local market, passive house as passive house institutions, standards are not always going to be appropriate or acceptable to different regulatory regimes. Hence, Scotland, like Scotland, uh, Belgium, like they ain't going to sign up to a, a national standard without having some degree of ownership of, over it. They're not going yeah, to abdicate. Yeah. That No one's going to be, no national regulatory regime is going to be comfortable uh, abdicating responsibility or deferring its responsibility to a third party based in Germany. Like, I suppose that basically the real thing here that's important is as long as they all influence in the right way. And I think that's what's important about these different standards is that, they, as you said, Zach, they're all aiming towards the same thing. There is a very common goal here. And I quite like the idea of being able to pick and choose from different frameworks, depending on what works for you from, a, as you said, a, a climate zone, it could be political, it could be cultural, etc. I think it's really important to have that variety. And and as you say, Dan, build something that is, you know, that feels like it's yours, that people can also buy into it. It's not coming from over there in that country. This is ours. Yes, we've shared some some ideas from them. We've taken some ideas, but we made it ours. And that, I think, is what helps the adoption as well. It's the help in the adoption. Mm. I mean, to offer the counterpoint, it's an unnecessary pain in the ass because <laughs> Passive House can be uh, adopted in most any climate any economic circumstance because it's it's uh there are clear standards in terms of performance and that's it you know it's material and strategy agnostic so it doesn't really make any odds but this is a culture issue like cultures want to be able to own something particularly the states they like to be able to there is a degree of to frame it negatively or less kindly it is what has come to be known as American yeah. exceptionalism. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and there is an unwillingness to cede to another cultural body. But, I mean, fuck it. We don't want the world to burn, do we? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you might right. as well. And I mean, I think that, it, yeah. And and again, I think that there's, I think you're right. I think that there, I'm not going to argue that the, uh, with the notion that there's American exceptionalism. <laughs> That's definitely the case. I, I, and I, but, and also, I mean, I think that there, again, I think there's different, there's just a, there's a different philosophy a little bit behind the FIA, the FIA standard that is more about, okay, how can we optimize the standard to work, to, to, to be easier to adopt? And I think that's irritating, you know, and, that doesn't necessarily mean more carbon emissions, right? And so I think that's that's what they're working on. So I think it's it's valid. And I think that, you know, these different ideas can also inform Alex's, you know, you're 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 alluding to a little bit, like could inform policymaking. So I don't wanna um like the differences matter, but we can just get on with it. Like, I mean, you had Jan Jan Rose now on, right? Uh, no, he's not come on yet. 
He's due to come on at some point. Yeah. So, I mean, there's this, he, he, you know, just did a paper on what is the optimal mix for, for decarbonization of buildings. What's the optimal mix of the investment in the fabric efficiency to reduce building demand, building heat demand, which mm-hmm. is what, which past house is all about, right? Yeah. And that balance with that and decarbonizing remaining heat supply. So it's the question of like, if we have heat pumps, do we need, do we need a great envelope? And, um, oh wait, okay. If I have a better envelope, it means my heat pump can be smaller. It has fewer, mm-hmm. it has less refrigerant, which means less GWP, less, less global warming impact. So there's these two really important and powerful tools for decarbonization. And basically the point of his article is we don't know exactly what the right mix is. Yep. So there, there is, there's uncertainty on the right mix. We just know, but with Passive House, both Thea's Passive House or Passive Building is, I think, that the way that they prefer to, to refer to it, um, to distinguish from Passive House. Both yeah. Thea's Passive Building, PHI Passive House are both incredibly powerful ways to deal with fabric efficiency and reducing building heat demand. Yeah. Um, so we can argue about exactly what that should be, or we can just recognize that they're both fantastic and let's do heat pumps and let's just get as many of these things, you know, retrofitted and, and we can talk about that, but, and built and become code and accelerate the, the progress um, because these are two, two really powerful tools. Yeah. It's like the difference between transubstantiation and consubstantiation. Like, doesn't if you really say make so. any difference. <laughs> well, I mean, that sort of ties it in, like the the, yeah. the Catholic Frenchman. And I was going to say the, uh, not that you are actually Catholic, but that is your your point of uh, origin, Alex. And the 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 British, myself, a failed empire who are languishing in our own version of exceptionalism. Thank you, uh, Brexit, etc., and just all of the rest <laughs> of it. And you know the the hardcore uh, Protestant Manifest Destiny uh, pilgrim lot, you know they fled this neck of the woods, the Protestants from Germany and the UK in particular, and colonized that whole land. I mean, this is quite a needless diversion, just to make some the slight joke about the Reformation. All right, shall we? Having gone from this really long diversion, get back to what Passive House Accelerator is. So it is you. How come it is you, Zach? How come you <laughs> are leading the thing? <laughs> I mean, you, um, you are the face of it. That, oh, that uh, well, certainly... we have lots of people who are the face of the accelerator. Um, the you know, we have different co-hosts for the the live shows and stuff. But the reason I, I think the reason that Michael and I are working together is, I mean, we share this this uh, um, kind of Switzerland approach uh, to the um, PHI and 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 FIAS bit. I mean, I think I, Michael, I, I I did a talk at a FIAS conference in Philadelphia in 2016 that Michael uh, was taken by, and this is just the, a little bit about challenging uh, doomerism and kind of lifting up the power of learning by doing kind of this so prosaic idea of learning by doing but how it's why i can feel hopeful about our capacity to address climate change and the and how and how that's relevant to buildings so yeah i mean and michael's amazing and he might if there's any he's so michael does 
he does uh, pass fails retrofits of uh, brownstones in Brooklyn and Manhattan is his bread and butter and uh, has is also kind of before the accelerator instigated these things called contractor collectives where there were any contractor that that wanted to work with them needed to participate in these contractor collectives which were meetings where the contractor on a on his current job would share this I, this thing went wrong this is why this is how we solved it and they have a dialogue and share their lessons with their competition um oh. which and this is really i mean this is one of the things this is also one of the things that is I love about the broad pass community is this sharing. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's uh, like quite a radical prospect for America, yeah. sharing failure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you have to be careful about that. I mean, we live in this litigious, you know, <laughs> reality. Yep. Um, but that's what, you know, it's like, and and also successes, right? Um, but that gets to learning by doing. Like if we if we can one of the ways we can accelerate the cost, what we want is for passive house to be to approach the same cost as upfront costs as, as conventional construction. And one of the ways to do that, to, to, to kind of crunch that delta is to l- learn. <laughs> like the first project is always the most expensive one. You learn from that, you get, you get better, you do, you, you don't do mistakes. So if we can, if we can accelerate, accelerate that process in a meaningful way by sharing our lessons with one another, then as a movement, we can become more, we can become the no-brainer choice sooner than than later. And that's that's the that's why I mean I, you know, this that's a common, I think, purpose for us in the building and decarbonization space. Uh, but that's certainly like that's why we do what we do at the accelerator. And so yeah. that's so that was like my that's in Michael's DNA. And so that's I think that was that connection that we made and why oh. I get to do the work I'm doing. So how did it so how did it all start then? So is this like a, a collaboration between you and Michael, like the genesis of it or No, he- I mean the, no, the genesis of it he started he started the accelerator um and his the initial thought was that it would be an aggregator site of um passive house content. So and- like the sharing session writ large. Right. Right. Exactly. And I think that the medium, the the initial medium was the website and like our, you know, articles and just grabbing, you know, like collating articles yeah, yeah. Um, in one, in one spot and to be agnostic, certification agnostic. And just see what worked. Right. Right. And then COVID happened and we became <laughs> a community and we became a community. The, the fact that, yeah, the fact that we're a community, like that, that is really something that we've, We've become more and sort of had this new uh, kind of awareness of and gratitude for because that it, it's it's been going on now for four years. It's it's amazing. It's really cool. So, what is the mission then? Or three years, passive ass accelerator. Uh, the mission is is to um, I mean, ultimately, is to decarbonize the 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 buildings, the and to do that by sharing sharing knowledge. With one another and who are your your key audiences then because uh, i know you said you want everyone to be involved but who are you really trying to to get and who who else are you wanting to welcome that you may not have now yeah great question so so right now it is 
Um, they're architects, designers, builders, developers, policymakers, um, some educators and, and, and students, some homeowners, but not a lot of homeowners, right? It's mainly, it's mainly practitioners and people who are trying to um, move the needle on climate action in the, in, with buildings. And right now, that's, I mean, I think that, that, that our core audience are people who are into passive house. But I think that the the next circle that we're also really wanting to attract are people who care about climate, are are the, the, that are designers, architects, engineers, builders, et cetera. They care about climate and they're looking for looking for how to do something about it. Um, they're looking for a solution. So they're so they're not necessarily aware of past fouls or they they are like, oh, they're, you know. Maybe they think that we're a bunch of weird zealots or what, whatever it is. Uh, they're not. They haven't yet engaged, and 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 so that's one of the reasons that we have the Reimagined Buildings YouTube channel. We're hoping that that might be one way to to hook people a little bit, like spark some curiosity about what is passive house, you know, um, or wow, that's a passive house. You know, I thought it was just a, a windowless cube. So yeah, yeah, but that's a, that's our. I think right now is our target audience, and we're. You know, over the course of the year, we our combined audience. So this is a, I mean, it's a, it's a funny metric, but the combined audience for our live programs is over ten thousand people. Of course, there are a lot of repeats, which actually is a good thing. Um, yeah. But, the, but there are also a lot of new faces that are happening more and more, and so it's really well, fun excellent. work. So, so, yeah. um, so in those terms, so the mission is spreading the word. You are evangelists, and that is the the means by which you accelerate. And you offer a, up a body of knowledge for the people you hook in. Now, yeah. Having watched a couple of the webinars that you do, the the Passive House Live sessions, I mean, it's interesting looking at the format because it's like trad webinar, but you have a couple of speakers you throw from one to another. You move through like a, it, it does feel like a, a community group meeting at points uh-huh. because you have an agenda at the beginning sometimes. You, you run through the, the the news of the day, like local government, that sort of thing. And uh, like you then you get into it and then you have space for the, the Q&A at the end. Like it feels like people know what's going on. You don't just have, you just described like your key audiences for this, like the people you're targeting as being the folk higher up the value chain, like the, the specifiers, the policy people, students. It doesn't sound like you're approaching the doers so much but i saw the people who actually mm. do hands-on work like they're in the the webinars i would recommend as well taking a look at the channels that you've got up there because there's for anyone who's interested in getting into this content whilst you may be focused on north america and very there are differences in terms of climate and materials that are available i mean it's passive house isn't it the principles are all broadly the same it's problem solving so mm. it is worth taking a look at and we don't know what our climate is going to look like around the world. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, actually, I mean, on the doers thing, ninety percent of our audience are architects, designers, engineers, and and builders. Cool. So it is so when you say builders, like uh, the the contractors, they are the folk yeah. who are actually right. Yeah, I mean the the we would like to see the that that segment of our audience grow. It's I, I think. It's the smaller part of, uh, of of that. It's like ten or twelve percent. That's what stood out to me when we were talking about the learning by mm-hmm. doing part. 
So when we were yeah. prepping for this, you mentioned that as a, a an issue that is core to the approach that passive house accelerators taking. And I, that really struck me because in terms of the research that we've done with various people, clients and friends, like where we've interviewed people who work in and across this space, the highest value experiences in terms of the educational parts tend to be where the architects or people, building designers, the esoteric arts of of buildings and construction are put with the lads who do the actual work, the lads who shift and build and make it happen. And that the coming together, the dissonance, the friction, and the remedying of the friction, because when you put these people together, they have an opportunity to see their various skills in action. So. I remember uh, Sarah talking ages ago about the act of taping and making air tightness actually happen. She hadn't recognized quite how skillful you had to be or quite what a skill it was just getting that right. You know, as an architect, she did, I'm paraphrasing as well, so apologies if I get it a bit wrong. But the broad point was, oh, Jesus, I hadn't, re- I hadn't recognized how hard this was to get right. And conversely, we've spoken to the fellows who do the work, who having had a building designer uh, on site, have had it explained to them why they are being asked to work in a certain way and what the outcome of this particular way of working is going to be. And the moment they had it explained to them, oh, right, yeah, no problem. And all of a sudden, like defects go down, like Mm -hmm significantly so you're not so the job becomes much more efficient i think yeah having something like that at the heart of your approach that's really positive so are you are you getting the opportunity to do any actual live live work because your audience is disparate in terms of like you cover the whole of north america right we do we we've been dabbling in in that a little bit in new york city we've done we've done a couple of of live events like in-person events and we're also uh, helped throw the party at, at the Theus conference in Chicago last year and the PHI conference in uh, Wiesbaden last year. Um, so that was in person. But most of it, most of our stuff is still is still online. I, I think that that will probably evolve over time as we have more capacity to do that. No, I mean, I think your 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 point is well taken with it. And I think that there's in terms of the trades, you know, and, and builders and hands on training. And this is a obviously really there's a there's a bottleneck here in uh, across the board with uh training of trades and 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 it's a challenge and kevin kevin brennan who's one of the co-hosts of construction tech he's an advisor at the accelerator is uh describes the difference between like an online or classroom classroom learning is where you get kind of awareness of uh technique but it's really the you know in the dirt or on the hands-on stuff is where you get competence competency and mastery so that's something that we haven't yet been involved in you know we're we're actively looking for ways to participate in that to contribute to uh, trades, tradesperson training. But the idea of learning by doing is also really applicable to design. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, and I think that the, there are interesting ways where um, passive houses is all about applying building science with digital, t- you got, we, we have digital tools for applying building science, we're optimizing and sounds it's like there's information technology involved. So little innovations in all of those steps 
to help make projects more successful and bring and bring costs down. I mean, the so the the analog in clean energy, right? Is the learning the learning by doing is called uh, Swanson's law, and it's and it says that every time the number of solar panels that are deployed uh, around the world doubles the cost of those solar panels goes down by a certain percentage. So historically that's been like 25%. The last like 10 years or so it's been like more like 38%. So every time we double the deployment. Um, and so when you have the combination of exponential uptake of uh, technology and the learning curve, it becomes this reinforcing circle. And we are seeing exponential uptake of passive house in, in the US, like literally it's doubling every two years. and so there are more and more projects that people are cutting their teeth on. So we can also see learning, you know, learning by doing have an impact. It's different because we're not talking about solar panels. We're talking about complex buildings and it's not modular. There, there are important ways that it's different, but there are also important ways that it's really similar. Yeah. So that's, I think, in terms of mission, our mission is to accelerate that learning through all of our channels. And part of that is building community so people can share with one another. To, to a point about actual practice, practical experience, I think it's it's a really, it's the way to understand why you're doing things as well. Especially at the end of the day, we're building buildings that are physical items, uh, tactile that you're you're going to be interacting with, especially with these uh, methods of construction, which means that a home or building is actually a system. And I suppose that if you just expect people to just go in and do, let's say, just a seminar and look at the nice video, the explainer video, it's not really going to tell you why, whereas actually maybe going to see a finished product, experiencing it, and then experiencing the actual process of doing it, which can be hard, easy, depending on what you're doing. That's when you go, okay, this is why I'm doing this. This is my role. And I think that naturally you'll automatically take more pride in the work you do and you'll want to do it to the the high standard whereas if you didn't i think you would just go okay fine i've got to, to use your example dan i'll put some tape around and that'll be fine oh there's a bit of a hole here who cares um so yeah the, the tactical side uh well sorry the, the tactile not tactical tactile side learning and practicing is what makes people understand the why and the why is so important I, I couldn't agree more and the, it's also gets to the why of why you're doing tr the trade in the first place Yes, um, because that's really about tradespeople. That that ins the inspiration is that pride in craft. I mean, mm -hmm. not probably not across the board, but we hear over and over, like on the podcast, the interviews we do on the podcast. And I saw this firsthand when I was introduced to Past House in the first place with this this high end builder in Portland. Is that Passive House is just like it, it answers all these questions for builders, kind of like again, it's like the grant the um, what's it the the unified field theory kind of, um, but it also is simply building really, really well and, and just attention to detail. And that being something that's really important and rewarded and kind of demanded in the project, which is, I think, can can spark like a, a like a revival of interest and commitment to, to to the career of building for a lot of people you see you see that it's like yeah I was you know you know I, I was kind of like building stuff and then that I started doing this 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 passive house and it like something clicked and I think it's because the whether where the rubber meets the road in passive house is is doing really good work I've I've and, heard similar before like I saw you've uh, one of your sponsors is Adam white intelligent membranes yeah, I saw you right. got some content up there I had a chat with him last year it doesn't matter when i had a chat with him he's a really interesting fella and uh he described something similar of his 
experience in Passive House where I'm paraphrasing, obviously. He said he met some Passive House designers and they said, this is the best thing that you can do. And he said, yeah, whatever, prove it. And so they did. And he immediately went, oh, oh, this is the best, actually. And the the experience he described was, oh, this is a set of guide rails to enable me to make the best possible buildings within the the material, using the materials and skills that I already have. You know, the, you've got to augment them. Like right. In the right. UK, we're not used to airtight envelopes. Like, that's not a thing because we exploited fossil fuels mm-hmm. from the world over. So we didn't have to worry about uh, yeah, leaky buildings. Here. Yeah, yeah. And it was that process where he <laughs> he he is a fellow who's evangelical about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The whole thing. I was, uh, yeah, I was very impressed with him. Yeah. So in terms of, all right, there are two things. Like, I think it's really interesting that like, you've got this thing going and it's clear that you are investing money in it. And and uh, you can tell me if you don't want to talk about this, but I think it's an interesting thing. So the way you're funded as an organization, so you're an LLC and you use sponsorship to drive the, your programs and you have you have a patron in the organization NYSERDA. Mm-hmm. Is it NYSERDA? That's right. So, yep. so that is New York Center... Renewable energy, something, something. That's 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 the the gist of it, but not not exactly. So it's the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority. So it's the it's the state agency that's responsible for realizing New York's climate goals. Essentially, I mean, it's it's other things too, and that's across you know across all sectors. um, Buildings being obviously an incredibly important one, and they they recognize Passive House as a powerful tool, both FIAS Passfaust and PHI Passfaust as powerful tools uh, to realize their goals. Well, that's it. They're looking at, they've got a macro goal. So whatever works, let's do it. So when when you and I met up earlier in the year, you said they give you money to get you to promote this idea because it will enable people to achieve their meta goals. And the bit I'm intrigued by, I'm I'm curious about how that that guides what you do like that sort of what it is that they expect of you. And then on the flip side of that, right, America in particular is in the midst of this this culture war. It's something we talked about with wait, Lloyd. Wait, wait where... a second. Culture war? Huh? What? <laughs> but this is like Lloyd, when we had him on ages ago, we were talking about the war, uh, the war on gas stoves. Like, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. all these issues are being wrapped up into it. And mm-hmm. we talked about the uh in fact, we didn't talk about this properly. There are issues throughout America whereby having a standard like passive house building standard will enable people to live better lives. The two examples I'm thinking of are Texas, where you had the, the fuel blackouts, yeah. the energy blackouts. Was it last yeah. year or the year before? In deepest, yeah. darkest winter. Yeah. But passive house is a building standard which mitigates all of those problems. Yeah, passive survivability. Yep. But it sounds like hippie shit when it comes from New York State. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's the sort of the southern states rejecting the East Coast when it actually supports aspects of that cultural war 
or fragments of that ideology because it's not a, a homogenous thing it's lots of different contradictory and supporting things like the idea of self-sufficiency like you know the prepper if you want to characterize it like that yeah and then on yeah. the other side of the states you've got florida which i spoke to someone a dc-based person a while ago but i don't think we're gonna have on the podcast uh not because they wouldn't be great speaker i just don't think they want to be on a forum like this but they're a bit of a mover and a shaker <laughs> and they talked about florida not being so much of a problem because it's sort of going to take care of itself because you can't insure homes there anymore <laughs> yeah, it's going to end up being unlivable because uh, the reclaimed land will be reclaimed once again mm-hmm. by the wilds so like you've got this so to sum up my long meandering non-question you've got this mission delivered at a new york state on the east coast which is has the potential to benefit the whole of america but it's going to come into conflict with with these other areas, ideological areas, geographic areas, where it could be so valuable to them. How are you? I mean, is this even something you're thinking about yet? Is this a long way off, or, or are you having to deal with these things already in your your grand mission? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that the mission of the accelerator and the mission of Nicerta are are very closely aligned. I mean, I think that so just to go to answer the first part of the question first. And we have contracts with NYSERDA to present events where we bring people together to share lessons learned, you know, with practitioners and where we we're producing a video series of that's focused on four buildings of excellence. So there's a buildings of excellence program when when Scott Foster was on the podcast recently, he was talking about that that pilgrimage to Belgium that happened yeah. from well that was inspired by that that the progress in vancouver also like there's all these kind of ripple effects from that trip it was a massively important um, moment for us in north america so so the buildings of excellence thing uh project is a really important um way of of creating proof of concept for for clean and resilient buildings and most of them are passive house so we're doing a, a, um, a series of videos on those projects which is which is very exciting um and then we also do more broad like marketing uh kind of or communication spreading the word about passive house um under under another contract so yeah our our relationship with nicerta is is super super important and that and they're also coincidentally not coincidentally there are tons of really important projects in new york uh, because nicerta and New York State and New York City, there's so much there's so much focus on passive house as a solution. So we're sharing about those projects, but but it's not exclusively those projects because you know a project in Washington State can be super relevant to mm-hmm. city practitioners in New York. So there's a lot of there's a lot of flexibility there. I mean, so I think that listeners should know that and probably do know, but if you don't, every state in the U.S. has its own building code, and so so the decisions about what happens on buildings is that is made at a state at a, as a state level. So I mean, it's a combination of kind of focusing on where there's success and propelling, you know, doing whatever we can to to propel that success and to share stories about it, and then also featuring practitioners and pioneers in other states like Texas, where there are fewer projects, and Florida. I actually don't think we have a Florida project on the accelerator yet. I, I, I searched the website earlier yeah. and I couldn't find. Um, anything uh any yeah. reference to florida there is there is a cool project uh, that we do expect to have on the accelerator soon for, of a, a self, kind of a self-build but 
you know, we don't have to focus on the hardest places in, in the U.S. for on, with PassFest right now. And honestly, I don't I don't spend a lot of time thinking about the cultural culture wars. I think the other piece is that when it comes to communication about pacifists in Texas, maybe you don't lead with climate mitigation. <laughs> uh, instead, you, you, instead, you you lead with resilience and um, independence and self sufficiency and, and those kinds of things. And also recognize that it isn't it isn't simple that Texas is a, the, our biggest producer of wind energy. You know, there are there's some surprising things about about this transition. You also have people like Elon Musk who go from being a, a hero of the climate action oriented clean energy transition geeks to now, I don't know what the hell he is, and a hero of the right. Uh, so we don't like, I think climate politics are going to be weird moving forward. Who knows? Who knows, right? So yeah. no doubt the culture wars are are, are raging in the United States. Uh, there are also like shiny examples of tremendous success, like what's going on with uh, codifying passive house in Massachusetts, what's going on with local law 97, which is going to, you know, uh, put a cap on carbon emissions from existing buildings in New York City and, you know, progress, progress in Washington state code that's not passive house specific, but is like we're marching toward passive house levels of performance by 2031. And those all, all those places show that this is possible, dispel the BS arguments against, uh, against energy efficiency as being stupidly expensive or something like that. And so that's what we're doing, Ooh. or that's what we're celebrating. Others are doing it. This is a mat, you know, we, we can't take we can't take credit for for those code successes. But well, that's a really good way of framing it. Well, I, I like that. They are doing it. We are celebrating it. I suppose that makes sense as the how one fulfills the mission. It's perhaps just it's perhaps a tangent, but um what you were saying there was making me think of the the use of air conditioning in the States in particular. I think 95% yeah. of homes uh, are using air conditioning, which obviously facilitated the development of uh, homes across the country, especially in very, very hot areas already, even before the climate crisis now. And obviously the building standards were terrible because of it, because you could just use cheap energy. And so they are, again, culturally entrenched in the American way of living. So have you seen anything to show that there, there is a shift to like understanding and explaining, obviously, again, like the whole point of explaining the, the value of using these building standards means that you don't actually need, hopefully, need to have too much air conditioning and you, there are alternative ways of, of staying cool, alternative ways of living. Is that even going to be, a, is that, how long is it going to take to even change the mindset around, around that in the States? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. When you said 95%, I was like, what? 95%? So I just Googled it. And it's it's not quite 95%, but it's way higher than I would have expected. How it's much? 88, it's 88% according, 88%. To, or according to the Energy Information Administration. Um, in, the, in Seattle, it's way lower um, because traditionally we haven't had to use AC. But uh, as you may have, you know, we just had that ridiculous heat dome. Um, yeah. And we, yeah, we need now, now AC is... is um, is necessary, unfortunately, to part part of the year. I think that one of so this gets down to, and you know, uh, and one of the things that makes that has been um, was astonishing that it passed is the um, is the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, um, and that there's a real focus on on heat pump deployment. Um, so I think that uh, so so heat pumps are amazing. Uh, and uh, and when you combine a heat pump with with an an, an efficient envelope, um, then you can drive 
the you know the energy load from these from these devices very very low um they have this you know the coefficient of performance of three or four um which is like it's kind of like this magical device and um the refrigerants are a problem um hopefully that that'll change over time but the smaller we can make the units the less of the problem that is so i think that air conditioning is going to be something that we that we're going to have to um have unfortunately i feel like we're going to need some active cooling even in high performance buildings um so i th- but if we if we do that with heat pumps then we're also decarbonizing heating energy and there's a nice correlation between when it's sunny and when you need ac so that that's i don't know that's that at least that's convenient <laughs> so yeah so we 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 are contemplating the use of a heating device in passive house your your passive house zealotry does not extend to excluding all heating devices no no absolutely absolutely yeah contemplating it from its its opposite use opposite i mean it's the same thing isn't it alternative use that's it yeah uh, as a cooling mechanism so something else that we spoke about albeit very briefly on another call is it you're not just again this is just a point of clarification i suppose it's not just passive air solitary. It's not just all passive house. This is about improving the performance of all building. So in the same way, there is a plus in passive house plus magazine. You, yeah. which, which isn't actually passive house. It's, it's retrofit and just doing better. Yeah. You're coming from a similar perspective. Oh yeah. No, this, yes, absolutely. This is not, I guess in two ways. So first it's, we don't need to be purist about passive house. Um, it needs to be passive house certified. Everything needs to be passive house. Like there are lessons that we can apply from passive house on retrofits that can get to the Enerfit standard, for example, or FIUS's retrofit standard, but also could get part of the way there. So we can provide really smart guidance about like, well, if you're going to make an intervention in your building, this is what you should do. You know, maybe the next time in 10 years you do this thing, like it can be a stepped, a stepped approach. So that's a, so one is not purist. And two, passive house is only one piece of the puzzle with with building de- decarbonization and this notion of zero carbon building, which is an aspirational notion, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I mean, I think that it's it's physically possible if you ide- if you define if you define a building as a, a zero carbon building as a building that is super energy efficient and sequesters carbon <laughs> and is all electric and gets its energy from clean energy. Now. So- this this is sequestering just... carbon. It, we're very far away from that. Yeah, um, I mean, so yeah, this is referring to a note I offered to Zach in the 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 preparation notes for this, where I pulled out a a reference to zero carbon building, yeah. which Jeff and I uh, tending to be pricks, uh, pedantic, <laughs> pernickety pricks. Like, oh well, you can't have a zero carbon building because it's all made of carbon, isn't it? And uh, oh, there's that too, but yeah. <laughs> this that is, is a like, that is a little prickish. It's it's a, <laughs> it is a fundamental, and it is the reason why we dropped the the zero carbon bit from the value proposition of the show, the way we describe it. Because yeah, I mean it it's just being a dick about it is a useful gambit to talk about it. Yeah, no, definitely. I think you know, point well taken, and and it is, and regardless of whether. You could say zero emissions and and yeah. include in the definition of emissions the upfront emissions of of constructing constructing the building. But to that point, like how are you or not the emissions part? Well, I suppose no, it's still emissions if you're 
contemplating upfront and embodied. How are you adapting the philosophy of Passive House Accelerator to this this world, brave new world, where we are thinking more and more about embodied carbon and upfront carbon? Because like one of the benefits, the old world benefits of Passive House was that it was just absolutely agnostic. This is a performance issue. But right. the more we learn, the more we realize, no, it's not just a performance issue because we've used up our carbon budget pretty much already. So we need to be thinking quite differently. And this is something that is affecting even the folks at the Passive House Institute. I mean, had a chat with Carl Halbach there the other week. You know, this is increasingly on their minds. How, how are you guys approaching it? Well, uh, it, pretty much all practitioners involved in Passive House are um, are, are very concerned about embodied carbon as well. And and it, I mean, I think that there's been this really important awareness raising that's happened over the last um, several years around upfront embodied carbon. And that's the main story about embodied carbon is um, and and that progress is is a very positive one. There's a a frustration that I that I have about the conversation sometimes and that is that this notion that that embodied carbon and energy efficiency are somehow pitted against one another um, <laughs> that that an energy efficient building can backfire because you're using more insulation or better windows and and so i i think again back to the positive side the um kind of massive you can't have a massive consensus the over overwhelming <laughs> consensus <laughs> that that yeah yeah that works yeah okay the very widespread <laughs> consensus is that you need to do both. You need to address both. And they and that if it's easy to do that in a way that actually is mutually supportive. That's the overwhelming consensus. But there still is this conversation sometimes that, oh, look, if I do this, if I do this this one thing in my building, it's going to have a 250-year payback in terms of carbon because of the upfront carbon of it. And so we've done some work at the Past Fossil Accelerator. My my colleague Skylar Swinford has put together this tool called the the OCEC, Operational Carbon Embodied Carbon Tool, that draws on um, embodied carbon data from the BEAM tool, which comes from Builders for Climate Action, which was um, Chris Magwood's organization, among among others. Chris Magwood is now at, at RMI, but he's you know he's a kind of global leader in in thinking around embodied carbon. Draws on the BEAM tool and then the Cambium tool for operational carbon, which comes from NREL the N National Renewable Energy Laboratory to look at the operational carbon and, and body carbon question. But I, I'm sorry, this is long-winded, but I, I, I got to get it out. So <laughs> the, I think the mistake that we make when we we focus just on one element of a building, there are two two problems in terms of misunderstanding of, of the system that you're looking at. So the, the first one is at the building scale. And the second one is at the grid scale. Because Typically, what we see when when you see arguments put out there that triple pane windows will have a payback of of a kajillion years, is that the assumption is that our electricity is zero carbon or nearly zero carbon, because my utility happens to have hydroelectricity, and yeah. there's a lack of recognition at the building level that uh, this is part of a system. And that there is going to be smaller mechanical systems and smaller smaller volumes of refrigerant in in those mechanical systems, and so when you so so you get this kind of weird worst case scenario that has to do with this tunnel vision on one thing, but a, a lack of recognition that actually um, 
That's not how you figure out the carbon intensity of electricity. You can't just look at your utility. You have to understand that you're part of this grid. And there's a, there are actually like numbers associated with that. And, and so in Seattle, we have our, 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 our utility calls itself the greenest utility in America um, because we have a bunch of hydroelectricity, right? Um, but we're part of this larger subregion um, uh, of the grid that has a carbon intensity that's equivalent to burning fossil gas for heat in my house. And yep. so I don't have zero carbon electricity here, but it's very common. In fact, that there, there's a, a very prominent carbon and carbon embodied carbon tool that assumes that electricity in Seattle is, is zero carbon. So of course, if you look <laughs> at the payback, energy efficiency is it becomes irrelevant in in that thinking yep. um but it's but it's it's false and and this and the same is true so when you look at those numbers and this combination using this tool the payback period of using some more insulation even if you're stupid about what if you use xps everywhere really high global warming why would you do that but if you did that even if you did that then the the payback for doing passive house is just a couple of years so this is very obviously this is this is a, a sore point for me, but I think that the again going back to embodied carbon, it is very important, and a lot of it is the structure of the building. It's steel and concrete, even wood. We need to deal with it. We shouldn't tear down energy efficiency accidentally because we want to show that embodied carbon is important because that would be counterproductive. Yeah, invest your carbon wisely. That's all right. it's about. Like, yeah, there's no yeah, right. such thing as a zero carbon building. Like there's no, there is no zero carbon life form on Earth that we know of. Like maybe they're mummies out of Peru. Although no, they would have to be carbon, wouldn't they, to have lasted in this manner? Yeah. So I stand by my first point. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> fair, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, uh, sorry, I ranted. I ranted there, but yeah. oh no, not at all. No, no, it was uh, <laughs> really useful. Like it, it is. It is absolutely, your point is absolutely right. And what you described is one of those arguments or the, the arguments that people can find themselves lost in. We find it really interesting talking to so many different people about so many different ideas, materials, strategies, methods, like all of these different things that are all happening. And there is no one that supersedes all of them because there are so many different circumstances in which we're working that we have to draw from this palette. You can't just decide, right, everything's going to be uh, hemp and uh, cellulose insulation from here on in. Oh, fuck, we used up all the paper. We stopped printing things. And we're, <laughs> right. not, we're not getting the boxes from Amazon anymore because we took care of that in some other system realignment. Mm -hmm. Like There needs to be this recognition of constantly evolving systems which leads us to a point of progress where we reduce our impact. And energy demand reduction is one of those, like minimizing embodied carbon, minimizing the impact of building and production and analyzing that through uh, embodied carbon and upfront carbon. That is another way of quantifying it or just making sense of it, making sense of it the best we can. But um, that would lead us very neatly into a conversation about Jevons' paradox. But we are not going to have that today, Zach. Uh, so this is just foreshadowing. Oh, man. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Got uh, to do it, though. Lloyd, uh, 
when I got in touch with Lloyd about this, he suggested I raise the subject as a means <laughs> of provoking you. But I think I think we'll save this for another. We'll do some sort of special feature with an idea I've got about getting him involved as well because uh, we so are going to be collaborating with Zach in the future and Passive House Accelerator because what they're doing is really interesting. I mean, we would argue that the podcast isn't as good as ours and the magazine isn't <laughs> anywhere near as good as Passive House Plus. But <laughs> as we've covered, like we are dicks, so we can do that. <laughs> Uh, but I think they're really worth checking. Like you can oh, sign you. up, you can join the live stream. All the videos are archived. All the content is there to be perused and enjoyed at your leisure. I think what you're doing is really good, really interesting, and I'm looking forward to seeing how we can we can work together on this in the future. Yeah, me too. I want to share one one last thought about um, because we've been talking. We talked about um, body carbon. We talked about uh, heat pumps and global warming potential of the refrigerant. We talked about the carbon intensity of our energy grid. All three of those things are rapidly evolving. And I think that's what is exciting or, or will make this work never boring is that the, we, we talk about the optimal mix now and then make our best guesses looking forward on how these get change. But global warming potential of refrigerants was going to go down. Yep, the embodied carbon of the embodied carbon intensity or of or upfront carbon is also going to decrease as energy becomes cleaner, uh, because there's less carbon emitted from the energy necessary to to create these products, and energy intensity of the grid is going to go down. So the optimal solution in buildings in terms of this mix is going to be different today than it is in 10 years and then it is in 20 years. Like there's no, yeah. so so all we can, and I think this goes back to this idea that we don't need perfect solutions. We just need really good solutions and we need to, to move them as, as fast as we can. And we just need to continue to be curious about how this landscape is evolving and be willing to change the mix moving forward and not get kind of stuck in our ways. Yeah, I'm awesome. So. All right. Well, what a marvelous way to end it. Thank you very much for your time today, Zach. We'll have you back again. We'll do more Doomerism and Jevons Paradox in the future. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, uh, so wrapping up, uh, join ACAN, join the AECB, uh, subscribe to Passive Ass Plus magazine, join the IGBC, women, her own space, get on it. Um, Oh, what else? Talk to us about the consultancy. There was one more thing. Oh, I'll have mentioned this at the top, but uh, Retrofit Reimagined. Check it in the show notes. It is hitting Bristol, McCuntleth in Wales and Glasgow in the near future between, I think, next month and November, maybe. Might be going as late as that. Retrofit Reimagined. It's an amazing festival of retrofit that's happening up and down the country. Run by a whole bunch of amazing people, including Sarah, a bunch of former guests, like excellent organizations. Again, all in the show notes. Yeah, big up all of that. All right, thank you very much. I think we can leave it at that. Oh, no, no, last thing. Uh, share. If you get something like this, you probably know someone else who will as well, so share it with them. Review. Write a review. Five stars. Nothing else will do. It is not just because we are needy. It is because that is what the algorithm needs to be fed. And we want this to reach as many people as possible. All right. Thank you all. Love you. Bye. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Alex.